Uh, do you want to turn with me then uh, for this evening to uh, Book of First Chronicles, First Book of Chronicles, and um, Chapter One? First Chronicles and Chapter One. I can't hear the rustle of rustle of uh, fine Bible paper, so just have to assume <laughs> assume that you've got First Chronicles chapter one. Um, let's just read a, a few scattered verses from um, this opening chapter here. And apologies if I butcher any of the names. We'll do our best. Verse one: Adam, Seth, Enosh. Kenon, Mahalaleel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, there's another name we know better, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Japheth, Goma, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tyrus. Uh, go down to verse 8, the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Down to verse 17, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, and Aphaxad, and Lud, and Aram, and Hul, and Githa, and Meshach. And Aphaxad begat Shelah, and Shelah begat Eber, and unto Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, because in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Um, down to um, verse 28. Uh, the these are sorry, verse 28. These are the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. These are their generations. The first one of Ishmael, um, Nebaioth, then Kedar, and Abdil, and Mishaim. Um, verse 32. Now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine, Sheba, Zimram, and Jokshan, and so on and so forth. Um, verse 34, and Abraham begat Isaac, the sons of Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. Now we're on more familiar territory. The sons of Esau, and from verse 35 of chapter 1 to the end of the chapter, you have um, a record given to us of the sons of Esau. And the dukes of, of, of Edom. So Esau, uh, his family set up, uh, became a large, uh, a large group, a clique of their own, and it became known as Edom. And uh, over Edom, there were many, many uh, rulers, and they were called dukes. Verse 43. Now, these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Uh, Bela, the son of Beor, and the name of his city was Dinahabah, and so on and so forth. That's interesting, and we won't deal with that tonight. Um, we might deal with it at some other point. Um, a few other scattered readings. Uh, chapter 2. These are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, Dan, Joseph and Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad and Asher, the sons of Judah, uh, and Onan and 
Shiva. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the sons of David, which were born unto him in Hebron. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 5, and these were born unto him in Jerusalem. So he has sons in Hebron. And then when he's made king of the United Kingdom, uh, he has sons born to him in Jerusalem as well. Chapter 4, verse 1, the sons of Judah, Phares, Hezron, and Carmi, and Hur, and Shobal. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, and the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler, but the birthright was Joseph's. And then you have uh, the genealogies of the other families that came from Jacob, um, Reuben, Gad, uh, Levi, I'm looking now down my, down my chapters into chapter 6, uh, into chapter 7, the tribes of Issachar, Benjamin, Naphtali, I'm just using the, the, the marginal di divisions that Newbury gives me, um, so I'm cheating a little bit, but that's why um, a study Bible can be useful. Um, Ephraim and Manasseh and Asher. Interesting that Zebulun and Dan are not included in these detailed genealogies. And I don't really know why. I don't have an answer for that. Um, Ray and I have had conversations about it. Um, but uh, we'll see what becomes of that. Uh, I don't think any of, any, either of us have come up with a suitable um, answer yet. Anyway, that's just, that's just by the by. Well, we trust that God will bless us this evening as we consider some of these, uh, these families, these genealogies. And um, what I want to do is continue the series that we began um, a few weeks back uh, on the genealogies in the Bible. And I think the title of our series is Who Do You Think You Are? By looking at the genealogies of the um, of the faithful people of God, the, the 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 histories and the stories of the families of the of the of the people of God, we stand to learn a lot about the kind of people that we should be, um, the characteristics of our spiritual heritage, and we've learned lessons so far about God, and lessons about man, and I want to think about some more with you this evening. First of all, I want to think about the, the context of the record of the genealogies. And then I want to think about the content of the uh, genealogies. And then I want to focus um, zero in on uh, what the chronicler uh, zeroes in, in on, which is the family of Judah. So the context of the genealogies, the content of the gene uh, gene genealogies, and then we'll zero in on Judah, the, the family that the chronicler seems to uh, zero in uh, as well. So first of all, then the the context of these genealogies. Um, notice in um, chapter one, verse one, the chronicler goes back to Adam. It's very interesting. Well, 
What do we know about the Book of Chronicles? We don't know a massive amount uh, about it, but we we believe this that it was written for the returning exiles. And so these are people that have been living in Babylon, and they're coming back now to to Judah, coming back to the land of Judah. And this book here is written as a as a history of the of the people. Um, Come just one other verse I, I forgot to mention. Chapter nine, verse one says, so all Israel was reckoned by genealogies and behold, they were written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah who were carried away to Babylon for their transgression. So the book of Chronicles then um, is very similar to, in terms of the context, it's very similar uh, in dealing with the same types of uh, history as the book of Kings. So why do we need the book of Chronicles then? If we have first Kings and two Kings, originally one book made into two uh, to fit onto scrolls, why do we need a second history? Well, it, it's a bit like Deuteronomy. The law was given to the people of God as they left uh, Egypt under slavery, remember? And then Deuteronomy was written for the generation of people who entered the promised land, which was a different generation to the people who had left Egypt. Um, Forty years had elapsed or, or, or more or less um, since they left Egypt. And a generation had passed. And so before they go into the promised land, the book of Deuteronomy is given to this new generation um, populated by many younger people who never knew really about the full extent of, of deliverance um, from from Egypt. Well, that's the same really as the book of Chronicles. It's given to a generation of people um, who know little uh, about the history. And although they have access to first Kings and, and second Kings, as we'll see, the chronicler here um, takes a certain slice through the history of the nation that is different to the book of Kings. Kings records for us uh, the sad demise of the United Kingdom of Israel, and it ends in the captivity and them going off into exile. Chronicles, on the other hand, um, doesn't doesn't end in that sort of depressing way. It ends on a on an upward note. It ends on, on a note of triumph and promise and uh, hope. So the the Book of Chronicles ends with promise and and hope. Um, uh, and so there's two very, very different books in that respect, um, as we shall see this evening. Um, let me just uh, explain something, and I, I might just use um, a, a, a drawing here to, to depict this. So if we represent um, the nation of Israel in this very, very uh, amateur drawing here, because um, I'm mindful that not everybody on the on the not everybody in the session this evening understands these things. Um, if Egypt is down here, what happened was the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and into the promised land. We, we know that much. We know about the fall of Jericho. And we read tonight that David was set up as a king, uh, ultimately, in Jerusalem. Uh, so they come out of slavery into the land of Israel, as it becomes ultimately known, and God sends up a king. And uh, 
this king is a good king he's called david and he is a man after god's own heart he's not perfect he's not flawless but he is a uh, a selfless kind of man he's willing to go into the valley and battle with uh, goliath this is all the context of of chronicles we need to understand this david is a good man not flawless but a good man his son solomon though begins well but ends in failure and unfortunately because of this the kingdom is divided and so you have a northern kingdom and you have a southern kingdom and uh, it is only the southern kingdom that is comprised of david's family and there is a continuous monarchy a continuous succession of kings that all come under the title judah and so sometimes we refer to the southern kingdom as judah whereas the northern tribe is reigned by a a, a mess of different monarchies from the tribe of ephraim originally um from the tribe of uh uh issachar and i think one comes from the tribe of gad it's a mess and all the kings in the north are bad kings and because of this evil which eventually spreads into the southern kingdom they all got they all get taken off into captivity and so that is where kings the book of kings ends and that is what the chronicler mentions in chapter 9 verse 1 uh, who were carried away to babylon for their transgression so that is just a bit of a recap and the other thing to, to be mindful of is that the people that come out of Egypt, they are all grouped into 12 families, 12 families that came not from Esau, but from Jacob. And we read about those 12 families in chapter two, verse one. These are the sons of Israel. I'm not going to deal with Israel and Jacob tonight. We might deal with that at some other point. Um, these are the families. They all they all um, fall under the 12 sons of um of jacob uh reuben simeon levi judah issachar and so on and so forth so the families of israel they come out of egypt and they ultimately settle in the land so that's quite important to to understand as as a background um uh, uh, to the context of, of this book so in summary then for the context he would say this that these these Israelites, as they return from the uh, land of Babylon, they have been traumatically separated from their homeland and forced to live under a completely different regime. They would have been under pressure to adopt the, a Babylon, Babylonian way of life. They would have been encouraged to adopt Babylonian names, as Daniel and his three friends were, uh, Babylonian food, Babylonian religion, and Babylonian culture across the board. And they had been in Babylon for 70 years. This means then that the returning Israelites needed to be re-educated in the law and in the historical roots of the nation. This wasn't a, a new nation forming itself. This was an old nation with roots that went all the way back to Adam. And uh, it was a, a nation with history that went all the way back to the beginning. And so First Chronicles chapter one is to the returning exile from Babylon, what Genesis one was to the liberated slave from Egypt. It's the story, Genesis one through uh, 
through to the end of end of Genesis and beyond. It's the story of their history and of their ancestry. And they need to know it because they're not starting afresh. They're picking up where they left off. And we've seen this with Ezra and Nehemiah, that they were needed to be re-educated uh, in order uh, to be uh, able to be God's people in the way that he wanted them to be. So that's the context of the book of Chronicles and the context of the genealogies that we have um, read uh, this evening, or at least that's what I believe it to be. Now, let's think about the content of these genealogies. Um, <clears throat> remember um, some of the things we've learned over the series that I've been doing here. Um, we've learned about the detail of the record is a very, we've got a few tools in our toolbox here. We've learned, first of all, that the detail of the record is very important. And we noticed in our previous studies that when God gives more detail, that's what he really wants us to know about. Does that apply here? Yes, it does. So the entire uh, prehistory to, to Abraham, uh, which is mentioned in chapter in verse 20, chapter one, verse 28, is is slimmed down into a mere uh, for sake of sake of uh, reference. It's, it's slimmed down to a mere 27 verses. That's pretty good going. But that's that's the detail. That's all the detail God needs. Will he give you much detail uh, about Noah's sons? Not really. No. Um, will he give you much detail about Esau's sons? Not really. No. He'll, he'll give them. Uh, it's about um, uh, 10, 20, 30, 30 verses or so that he gives you on Esau. So God is not uh, so disinterested in these families so as to sort of undermine the history, the, the, the historical nature of this nation. He's he's interested in implanting the nation of Israel in historical uh, in a historical context. It's a real nation with history. And so he, he, he there is some detail about other nations, um, but there's not much detail uh, about the things that God isn't isn't interested in. That might be one reason. It might be one reason why. Um, Zebulun and Dan aren't expanded upon in the detailed genealogies that we have. But I don't I'm not convinced about that, but it, it may be the reason. So that was the first thing we learned in our previous uh, series. What what other tools have we got? Well, the arrangement we saw was very important. The way that God ordered things was very important. Does that apply here? Yes, it does. Once again, um, Japheth comes first in the sons of Noah, verse uh, five. Um, then the sons of Ham and then the sons of Shem. So it's the same order as Genesis. He's leading with those people whose stories are least important and ending with those stories uh, of, the, of those people who are most important, who he can then take forward and develop from there. Um, he leads with Esau and the Dukes of Edom. That's not how I would do it. I would tend to lead with those people I think most important, but he leads with the people who he wants to get kind of out of the way. They're important to the historical context, but he wants to lead with those and then moves on in chapter two, verse one to the sons of Israel. Now, that's who he's interested in. Um, and then you will notice probably in the reading, at least if, if you didn't, I can sort of make it more obvious now that there was an awful lot of focus on Judah, awful lot of focus on Judah. Um, 
not much focus really on Rubin, who was the firstborn. And so the detail that that sort of um, uh, that uh, approach that the spirit of God is taking here and the writer is taking is seen again. The detail is very important. Um, I would just mention um, in chapter one, I think we, I, I referred to this in our introduction, chapter one, verse 43. Um, this is very important because these are the patriarchs of the kings. What we've been, sorry, these are the genealogies of the kings. Before uh, in this series, we've been looking at the genealogies of the patriarchs. These are the fathers of, of the nation of Israel. So uh, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, we've been looking at, at their genealogies and the genealogies that preceded them, uh, Noah and Adam and his families. But now we're looking at the, the, the genealogies of the, of the kings. And that's what uh, is focused on in this book of Chronicles. But it's interesting to note that the spirit of God makes reference to the fact that uh, the in, in chapter one, verse 43, these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Interesting. So in the in the genealogies of the kings here, there's a reference to the fact that Israel was late in its adoption of kings. Why was that? Why was Israel so slow as a as a nation in developing a, a culture of authority? Well, because it was never really God's intention for there to be a king until it came to the point where they were desperate for a king. And so he gave them a king, but he, he, he gave them a specific king, a king that was a, a, a man after his own heart. And it wasn't until God was prepared to bring that man to the stage that they were actually able to have leadership and an authority structure on earth. What God intended from the, from the very beginning was that there would be men who would be leaders but they would ultimately, as a nation, see themselves as being under God's authority. And it was the desire to be like the nations around about them, like the nation of Edom that came from Esau, that ultimately led to this hankering after a leader. Not just over after a, uh, a leader like Moses and Joshua, who would, who would be the sort of mediator for authority on earth, but a leader of power. And that's what Esau was all about. He was all about power. He was all about uh drama and and uh be, being a warrior that's 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 what esau was about that's what ishmael uh became all about but that's not what god wants in a leader he doesn't want a man who uh has um has power power comes uh at the cost in many cases of humility and and sacrifice and servant leadership that's what God wants in a leader. And he wanted his people to uh, to adopt that kind of response to him as, as God, to see him as their leader and to have men on earth who would merely be merely be representatives of God's authority. Uh, so I think that's interesting um, in terms of the content of these genealogies. So those little oblique remarks to things like this uh, are not the fact uh, that it was never God's intention for them to have a king like other kings. God wanted a specific type of king um, in, in place. Now, having thought about the context and the content, what I want to do now is zero in on um, what the chronicler zeroes in on, uh, which is Judah. 
and I really have got um, very little time to do this. Um, so you'll have to hold on to your seats as we speed up a little bit here um, to uh, try and get through this in, in maybe maybe 15 minutes. OK, we'll do our best. So did you notice in chapter two that he lists the sons of Israel? Reuben is the firstborn. But then when you get to verse three, he jumps into the sons of Judah. Why, why would you do that? Why would you not start with Reuben? If you're going to expand on the histories of the sons of 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 um, of, of Israel, of Jacob, Israel was his other name. I haven't got time to go into that now. It is important, but we'll do that with the, deal with that another time. Why does he start with Judah? Um, this is overturning the order of birthright, which would normally place Reuben first. The question arises then as to why the kingly line, because that's ultimately what we saw. We saw that from Judah in chapter three, verse one, these are the sons of David. That comes from Judah. Why is it that the kingly line doesn't come from Reuben and it comes from Judah? Well, the Chronicler gives, does give us one reason for that. Um, and we read it in chapter five, verse uh, one. Now, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed. So there was some sexual immorality going on in the family when Reuben was a young man that meant he actually gave up his privileges as a, um, as a, as a leader, as a man who was entitled to the privileges of firstborn. His birthright, it says, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And so the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. So that, that gives us one explanation because of Reuben's sin. But when we look into the story of, of Judah, what will we find? Will we find a man who is better than Reuben, a, a man who is more morally upright than, than Reuben? Well, it's very, very interesting. It's a very interesting story. Um, let's read on in chapter two. The sons of Judah, Ur and Onan and Shelah. So he has three sons. He's not as uh, prolific as his father, who had 12. He has three sons. These sons which were born unto him of the daughter of Shua, the Canaanites. And Ur, the firstborn of Judah, he was evil in the sight of the Lord and he slew him. And Tamar, don't know what happened to Omen at this point. Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bare him, Judah, Phares, and Zerah. So Reuben lost the privilege of, of being the firstborn and therefore being the kingly line because of sexual immorality. But the inference here in the text is that Judah had relationships with his daughter-in-law. So how can this be? How can Judah, what right does Judah have to be the one from whom David's line would come from. I want to just uh, co compose a list in your mind of things which made Judah an unlikely candidate. Things that made Judah an unlikely candidate. First of all, he was the firstborn. He, was, he wasn't the firstborn, sorry. So that, that disqualifies him really from, from being the candidate we would expect to be on the page of scripture as the one from which the, the King David would come from. Number one, he wasn't the firstborn. Number two, his mother was Leah. 
Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and Leah was not his favorite. Number three, he consents to Joseph's death along with the other brothers. You remember they, they hated Joseph, the, uh, the envy and the animosity in the family between siblings was so great that ultimately they took Joseph and they intended to uh, kill him. And he engineers the sale of Joseph. And for this, we'll have to go back to the book of Genesis. So turn with me to Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis and chapter 37. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 37. And look at verse um, 26. Joseph is in the pit. So we've seen that jo Judah wasn't the firstborn. Uh, his mother wasn't Leah. He consents to Joseph's death. And now he takes a leading role. He, he stands out as a leader, but it's not, it's not a good thing that he does. Verse 26, and Judah said unto his brethren, it's not Reuben, it's Judah. What profit is it that we slay our brother and conceal his blood? He steps out. He's not the firstborn. He's not even the secondborn or thirdborn. He steps out in a leadership role here and says, look, we could actually get we could get something better than this. We can get rid of Joseph and we can get some cash in hand. So number four, he engineers the sale of Joseph and the other brothers follow his lead. Number five, he mercilessly deceives his father with the rest of them. They don't say that Joseph is dead. They just get his coat, special coat, dip it in blood and say, you know, is it Joseph's coat? You know, draw your own conclusions, Dad. But he, he enters into that deception. Those are five things. And in, in Genesis 38, a whole chapter is given over to Judah. And it makes a very unpleasant reading. He has ungodly friendships and he has lurid relationships with his own daughter-in-law, which we've already referred to in First Chronicles chapter 2. And it might be asked, why would a whole chapter be given over to this lurid, unpleasant, immoral behavior of Judah, who has relationships with his daughter-in-law? Well, the answer, of course, is because the events in this chapter are precisely the, uh, the, 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 the setting for the, for the ascendancy of Judah. What emerges from chapter 38 is fascinating. First of all, Judah is deprived by God of two of his sons, Ur and Onan. Now, if I was to lose Nathan and Luke, two of my sons, what would that do to me as a, as a, as a man? How would that change me? What would my relationship with God be like? If I was to lose two sons. So hold that thought. It's a very poignant situation because Judah had deprived Jacob of one of his sons. Now God has deprived Judah of two of his. The sons that come from Judah's ultimate relationship with Tamar are recorded um, in chapter 38, verse um, 27. Chapter 38, verse 27. It came to pass in the time of her travail that the whole twins were in her room. So it's to Tamar, who's had relationships with her father-in-law, is now pregnant with twins. Judah lost two sons. He's now about to get two sons back. 
And it came to pass when she travailed, she's about to give birth, that the one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand the scarlet thread saying this came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold his brother came out and she said to this little this little baby how have you done that how have you broken forth this breach be upon thee therefore his name was called Paris and afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand and his name was called Zara Paris means breach if I had a if I have a a security system around my house and somebody's able to get through even if I have, you know, massive scaffolding and, and barbed wire, but they're still and security cameras, but they're still able to breach security. That's amazing, isn't it? That's what this little baby did. He breached against all expectations, against all the odds. He he overcame. And that's the that's the characteristic of the messianic line. That's what made David go down into the valley with the, the Philistine against all the odds. And have that stone find the one part of, 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 of Goliath's body that wasn't protected and have him fall in the valley. That's what Judah does. And this is the first little indication that something, something about Judah is special. Now, of course, this is all God's serenity. This has nothing to do with Judah. Judah hasn't redeemed himself yet, but he will. Come to chapter 42. You remember that there's a famine in the whole of the Middle East and the only bread there is is in Egypt. And so Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt and uh, Joseph says, you need to bring your brother back next time. He finds out about all that. And when they tell Jacob this, that they've got to tell Benjamin back, Jacob is beside himself because he's already lost one son. He doesn't want to lose two sons. And Reuben says, oh, oh, you just take my two sons, kill my two sons. I don't I don't mind. Reuben is the firstborn, so he, he, he speaks first. But it's a kind of a rash statement. But look at what Judah says in chapter 43, verse uh, verse three. He says this to Jacob. He says, look, Dad, the man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, you will not see my face except your brother be with you. Um. Verse eight, and Judah said unto Jacob, Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and thou and our little ones. I will be shorty for him. You see what happens to a man who's lost two sons. He starts to, in God's grace and sovereignty, he starts to, to live a self-sacrificial life. He starts to live a servant kind of life. A humble kind of life. I will be shorty of him. In other words, if we don't come back with Benjamin, I will not my sons because I've only got one left anyway. I will be I will take charge of that and I'll be responsible. Of my hand shall that require it. If I bring him not the uh, unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. It's not like Reuben who, who made a rash statement. This is Judah who's who God is starting to work with. God is shaping his character. By, by depriving him of two sons. Um, and it's a far more mature and, 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 and composed pledge. And then finally, it is Judah, when Benjamin's life is in the balance. Remember, they went back to, 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 to Egypt and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And now, now 
J Jacob is about to lose his second son. That's that's important. Um, now it's who who steps up to deal with this? Who 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 rises who rises as a leader amongst this poor, sorry group of of, of brothers? Genesis chapter forty four, verse eighteen. Now I'm going to read this in full because you need to. It's it's a wonderful speech, and it's the speech of a of a leader. Um, verse 18, chapter 44, verse 18, and we're bringing it to a close now. Um, then Judah came near unto Joseph and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? Now, I should have said this. Benjamin is about to be, be captured. But the, the, the safety of these brothers and the sanity of these brothers is is on on the brink. Joseph could have them all wiped out. So this is put your feet in, the, in their shoes. This is a very, very fragile moment in the life of this little family. And Judah stepping up. My Lord asked his servants, Joseph asked uh, the, the brothers, have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord. We have a father, an old man, a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. And thou said unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou said unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go again and buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother be be with us. Uh, then we will go down for we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, ye know that my wife bare me. Two sons. And the one went out from me and I said, surely he is torn in pieces and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrows to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass when he sees that his lad, the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave for thy servant became shorty for the land unto my father saying if i bring him not unto thee then i shall bear the blame to my father forever now therefore i pray thee let thy servant abide instead of the lad a bondman to my lord and let the lad go up with his brethren for how shall i go up to my father and the lad be not with me there's peradventure i see the evil that shall come on my father. It's this sacrificial servant, humble. Yes, I've repented. Can't you see Joseph speech that breaks Joseph? And it's this wonderful leadership on Judah's part that ultimately leads to reconciliation in the family. This is servant leadership. And as we close this evening, um, I think some practical lessons we can take from from all this. This is why Judah ends up 
in the order he does in the book of Chronicles, chapter two, verse three, because Judah way back in, in, in his life experience was willing to be a servant leader. And God, through difficult experience, experiences in which he was deprived of two sons and therefore able to empathize with his father, who was about to lose two sons, it's that crucible that forces Judah into a position of being a leader. But not everyone, not, a, not everyone of his brothers could be that leader. It was Judah that was the leader. And God wants, that's what God wants in leaders. That's what David was. He was a servant leader. He was a sacrificial leader. Now, this, of course, is true of leaders in the local assembly, but it's true of anybody in any leadership role in any capacity in life. If you are a leader at work, you must be a servant leader. You're not, you're, God doesn't want you to be uh, an authoritative leader. He wants you to be a servant, self-sacrificial, humble leader. That's what God wants. And in the local assembly, in works that we are leaders, people will not follow you. People will not follow me if I'm leading in a work. They will not follow me. The flock will not follow me if I am not a servant leader. A, a leader that's willing to sacrifice myself and be a bondman for Christ. This is how Judah gets himself. He wasn't an, a moral man in his in his life. He's no better than Reuben. But partly because of the grace of God and partly because of the way that God shaped him in his circumstances, the, the genealogies of the kings are all focused on Judah. And you will not find reference uh, in the book of First Chronicles or Second Chronicles to the northern kingdom. They don't feature in the book of Chronicles. Uh, the onus is on the, uh, the genealogies and the families of the, of the line of David, which ultimately goes back to Judah himself. I think this is wonderful. This is God in his wonderful sovereign grace, taking a man who was just nothing. He, he was he wasn't the firstborn. He was the son of, of Jacob's least favorite wife and all those things we listed. He was not a man to, 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 uh, to be reckoned with. But God took him up. God raised him up. God shaped him in his life. And that's what God wants, I think, from you and me. We are nobodies. We're sinners. We're, we're saved by grace alone. And through the circumstances of our life, some of which we're going through now, God wishes to shape us into the people that he wants us to be in order that we might be uh, people who who on the page of history make an impact. And we overcome we we overcome the challenges that we face. We against all the odds. We're like the family of Judah. We're willing to go down into the valley like David was and so on and so forth. These are the characteristics of the tribe of Judah. And I believe that that's what God wants from us as well. At least was it not what the Lord Jesus evidence in his own life he was a servant leader he was a humble man he would he would he was ultimately willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice to be your surety and mine and that's what god wants uh, from us we're not we're not leaders after the fashion of this world we need to be leaders um parents are leaders uh, there are leaders uh in communities leaders in businesses leaders in any capacity god wants us to be those kind of leaders it's that by that uh, that we make an impact on history. Well, I trust that these things have been uh, uh, helpful, making sense of 
uh, the perhaps less well-traveled parts of our Bible. Uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the study, and I trust it is an encouragement uh, to each one of us. Should we just close in prayer?